Greetings to everyone around the world, and welcome to this wonderful holy day, the Feast of Trumpets, and uh, greetings to all our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. It's wonderful being connected and to think on this day when the seventh trumpet uh, blows, we'll all be together in the resurrection and be God's family, the royal family born into his kingdom. A wonderful day to anticipate, uh, but it is a sobering time. And we saw in Mr. Weston's program this morning, uh, the day of the Lord is a time of judgment. And uh, as he wrote into the July-August Tomorrow's World magazine, the cover of the Perfect Storm. I hope you see a picture of the uh, Perfect Storm uh, magazine. Uh, it just come to the place where we even heard in the announcements by Mr. Rod McNair about the fires in the western part of the United States that cover uh, California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Colorado, and Wyoming. Uh, we have a perfect storm of the coronavirus and then the fires and weather upsets and disasters and uh, financial collapse all, all around the globe. Uh, so we have entered that perfect storm. And today reminds us that we are warning the world, as we just heard the sermonette by Mr. Jonathan McNair, the trumpet is a warning to the world, and we are trumpeting that warning to the world. If you turn to Leviticus 23, uh, we have here, of course, God's summary of all the annual festivals and the memorial of the blowing of trumpets. So Leviticus 23 and uh, verse 23. In the New King James Version, it has on the heading, The Feast of Trumpets. And in Hebrew, it's Rosh Hashanah. Leviticus 23, verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Of course, that was done by the Levites, uh, not in our modern Melchizedek, uh, Melchizedek priesthood under the leadership of course Jesus Christ. So it's a memorial of the blowing of the trumpets and uh, did the Jews and the nation of Israel understand what that was? Uh, but the little shofar is a sharp sound and it is a sharp warning. The book of Revelation gives us an understanding of the meaning of this day. Uh, we know that the seventh trumpet the seventh seal, beginning in Revelation 8 and continue on into Revelation 9, uh, gives the seven trumpet plagues or the seven trumpet events. Uh, Mr. Weston gave the main sermon this morning that was called A Day of the Lord, A Day of Clouds, Gloominess, and Sunshine. Uh, thankfully, there is sunshine at the end of this Day of the Lord and the seven trumpets. Mr. Weston explained in, that the feast represents the one-year day of the Lord, the time of God's wrath and punishment on the nations, but it also announces the good news of God's kingdom at the seventh trumpet. Mr. Weston also uh, described the dramatic seven-trumpet events in the sermon this morning and uh, was presented with some dramatic film footage that our television crew put together uh, illustrating uh, several of those seven, uh, seven trumpets. And if you didn't see the sermon this morning, uh, you can access uh, those uh, film clips on our website. Uh, go to The Holy Days Part 3. It's a tomorrowsworld.org website, uh, The Holy Days Part 3. 
uh, Mr. Wesson describes the Feast of Trumpets in that sermon or in that telecast. So the day of the Lord introduces a kingdom of God. And that's the title of the sermon this afternoon, Trumpets Introducing the Kingdom. So in today's sermon, we'll describe the day of the Lord and how it fits in the sequence of biblical prophecy and how it introduces the kingdom of God. We'll also discuss how we must prepare for the second coming of Christ. The seventh seal is the day of the Lord. How do we know that the seventh seal is the day of the Lord? Well, Revelation, the sixth chapter, describes the first six seals. So you turn to Revelation, uh, the sixth chapter. We'll review a little bit of what was covered this morning. Perhaps some of you watching this afternoon missed uh, the morning service. Uh, we certainly hope that if you observed both the morning and afternoon services, you had a good lunch, and uh, perhaps those in the different time zones uh, observed a uh, wonderful breakfast or uh, an evening meal. Uh, turn to Revelation, the sixth chapter. Uh, here we have what is called the cosmic disturbances. Revelation 6 and verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Uh, we've been watching recently on uh, the History Channel, or National Geographic Channel, called Earth Apocalypse. Uh, already showing what has happened in the history of, of volcanoes, of earthquakes, of weather upsets. Uh, this, this History Channel, National Geographic Channel, is saying, this is what has happened, and it is going to be worse in the future. Uh, these are not uh, biblically-oriented people. These are scientists and uh, meteorologists uh, who have examined the weather upsets and dramatic events of the past. Continuing here in Revelation, the sixth chapter. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Verse 15, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the, the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. <clears throat> the word lamb appears about 26 times uh, in the book of Revelation, and it certainly emphasizes our relationship to him. He's the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world and the marriage of the Lamb. It relates to us too, as we'll see later in the sermon. Verse 17, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So we see here that the heavenly signs introduce the day of the Lord. And it also talks about the moon becoming blood. There was a lunar tetrad in 2014 and 2015. We saw hints of the heavenly signs in the lunar eclipse. NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, described it this way. Their color as sunset red, or as the eclipse progressed, quote, filling it with a coppery glow and transforming the moon into a great red orb. So this is a little introduction to what the heavenly signs might be like. One televangelist, John Hagee, wrote a book about the lunar eclipse, uh, the Tetrad. 
he stated, quote, the tetrad could be a final curtain before the great tribulation, end of quote. No, the heavenly signs come after the great tribulation, not before the great tribulation. So he was pretty wrong in his statement. We have a chart <clears throat> called the uh, the three major prophetic events. It's actually from the booklet on uh, Armageddon and beyond. And in the middle of the booklet, we have the if we'll show that on the on the screen the end time prophetic events. You have the three major events: uh, the Great Tribulation, number one; the heavenly signs or the cosmic disturbances, number two which is the sixth seal, and then number three, the day of the Lord, which is the seventh seal. Now, there are over 30 prophecies in the Bible referring to the day of the Lord, and Isaiah 34, verse 8, and Isaiah 63, verse 4, show that the day of the Lord, an end-time prophecy, the time preceding the second coming, is a period of one year, and uh, Mr. Weston covered that this morning. I'll just read those scriptures Isaiah 34, verse 8. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. <clears throat> and then Isaiah 63, and verse 4. Isaiah 63, verse 4. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. So when does the day of the Lord begin? And when does the great tribulation begin? Our booklet, The Revelation Unveiled, The Mystery Unveiled, uh, Mr. John O'Gwin writes on page 25, Jesus warned us of the Great Tribulation, a time unique in all history, Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. The Great Tribulation, he writes, begins shortly after the abomination of desolation, verse 15. Matthew 24, 15 is a very important verse for God's people to understand. And is the result, he writes, of the final end-time fulfillment in rapid succession of the first five seals. So we have the milestone of the Great Tribulation, uh, that is the abomination of desolation, in verse 15. So will the Great Tribulation include the four horsemen, the first four seals, uh, the key is, as Mr. O'Gwin writes in the book on the key of the book of Revelation, uh, page 25, the events symbolized by the seals are cumulative, and the seals once open remain open. So even from the time of Christ, when you had false religions and false Christ, the, the, the seal is open, but it's, they're going to be the end time intensive ride of the four horsemen. So we have then in verse 29, if you have Matthew 24 and verse 20, 25, verse 21 and 22, turn on to verse 29. After he talks about the Great Tribulation, we see the sequence of events. What happens after the Great Tribulation? Verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. So again, we see that that's the sequence of great tribulation 
and then the heavenly signs. And then in turn to Joel, the second chapter, Joel, the second chapter, and we uh, read from that this morning on the day of the Lord, Joel 2 and verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, talking about the heavenly signs, and the moon into blood, when? Before the coming and great awesome day of the Lord. So again, we have confirmed the sequence of the three major milestones, great tribulation, heavenly signs, and then the day of the Lord. So Mr. Weston made that clear in the sermon this morning. So we all look forward to the good news of the seventh trumpet. Well, let's turn there, Revelation 11th chapter, verse 15. Uh, such good news, and we should rejoice in that as well. We have uh, the sunshine that Mr. Wesson talked about this morning, the sunshine of the seventh trumpet, the resurrection that takes place, and a whole nation will be born uh, into the kingdom of God. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their throne fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, and who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. So how will the nations respond at that announcement to us? Uh, we will be born into the kingdom of God at that point. But how do the nations respond? Uh, verse 18, the nations were angry. They were not accepting of Christ. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. I hope, brethren, that every single one of us have come to know the fear of the Lord. So we've given several sermons on that subject. But if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you need to have that awe and that respect and know that you have been conquered by God, as Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Meredith emphasized from time to time. And those who fear your name, small and great, and shall destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, no, lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. Uh, you read about several earthquakes in the book of Revelation. So why will they fight Christ at his coming? Well, they're deceived. They are told by false prophets, and I'll mention some of them here, that this is not the Messiah, this, this being coming is the Antichrist, and we need to fight against him. In the April 1965 Plain Truth magazine, Mr. Richard H. Sedlacek wrote an article, Will the World Recognize the Returning Christ? Will the World Recognize the Returning Christ? Mr. Sedlacek assisted Mr. Herb Armstrong in putting together the Pastor General's report, uh, he died in the Living Church of God about 10 years ago. Mr. Sedlacek writes on page 27 of the April 1965 Plain Truth magazine, what the false prophet will claim. Oh, he, Mr. Sedlacek writes, already the clever deception is being spread. 
Notice this false prophecy revealed well over a century ago. And he quotes from Prophecy Today, page 71. Quote, Antichrist will fight a successful battle at Megiddo, Armageddon. Actually, it's not at Megiddo. It's down in Jerusalem, the valley of Jehoshaphat, as we read in the book of Joel. But it's the gathering place at Megiddo. Quote, Antichrist will fight a successful battle at Megiddo, or Armageddon, in Palestine, after which he will therefore become Lord of the world. End of quote. So he's saying the Antichrist is going to become Lord of the world. No, uh, Jesus Christ is going to be king over the earth, as it tells us in uh, uh, Zechariah 11, verse 9. Is it uh, Isaiah 11, verse 9? He goes on in, on page 48 in the Plain Truth magazine. The false prophet will claim, quote, And in the presence of all he, that is the Christ, who has falsely labeled the Antichrist, in this diabolical prophecy, uh, Mr. Sedliacek inserts, and in the presence of all he, exhibits himself as taken up into heavens with trumpets and sounds, and the mighty shouting of those who hail with him indescribable hymns, the air of darkness himself shining like light, and at one time soaring to the heavens, and another descending to the earth with great glory, and again charging the demons like angels to execute his behest with much fear and trembling. For he will show his demons, really meaning the saints, brilliant like angels, and he will bring in hosts from the incorporeal without number. And that's from the anti-Nicene anti fathers under the topic Hippolytus, page 250, uh, section 29. So that's from the article by Mr. Sedliacek, Will the world recognize the return in Christ from the April 1965 Plain Truth magazine? And all these available uh, on the internet. So much of the world will be deceived, thinking that the return in Christ is the Antichrist, and they're going to fight against him. Satan has deceived the whole world, well, Revelation 12:9. And brethren, we need to pray that you won't be deceived. I won't be deceived by the world or by Satan or by ourselves. We need to make sure that we are alert and staying close to God and watching and praying always. The world's armies will fight against Christ at His coming. Turn to Revelation, the 17th chapter, and verse 4. Revelation 17 and verse 4, talking about the ten kings and the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. And we've had sermons along that line. We have a, a sermon uh, number seven hundred seven, uh, faithful to the end. So the Feast of Trumpets urges us to prepare for the kingdom. How are you preparing for the kingdom? How are you preparing for the wedding? How are you preparing for meeting the bridegroom? We have a Dr. Meredith sermon number 865, Prepare for Kingship. And also sermon number 1028, Prepare for the Kingdom as Heirs of the Kingdom. So turn to Matthew 25 and uh, verse 7. We're, we're already there in Matthew 25. 
Verse 7, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for themselves. And while they went to buy, for the, buy, the bridegroom came. Notice this, and I hope that you have it underlined in your Bible. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. So what does he say in verse 12? Verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So what do we need to do to prepare to meet the king? Number one, we must always have oil in our lamps. Number two, we need to be watchful. Watch therefore. Be alert and watchful. We just heard in the announcements by Mr. Rod McNair about the news and prophecy items about the, the fires and also the military development in Greece. We must be alert and watchful. And if we're going to have oil in our lamps, we need God's Holy Spirit. One of the wonderful promises of God, I, I find it to me, is one of my favorite promises out of, I guess, hundreds of promises. Uh, Luke 11, verse 13. Luke 11 and verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Or in say the Matthew's account, they give good things to those who ask Him. So God promises the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you asked Him to renew your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within you? And of course it tells us you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Second Timothy 1 and verse 6. We need to have oil in our lamps. But once we have that oil... 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, Paul writes. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And how much we need this in this day of chaos and confusion. We need sound mindedness. We need that love that casts out fear. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we also, number three, after we have oil in our lamps, being watchful, number three, we must fulfill Christ's mission. That's how we prepare for the wedding. We have sermon number 794, the Philadelphia mission, and number 716, standing in the gap. We feel that we are dedicated to fulfilling the Philadelphia mission. The Scottish archaeologist William Ramsey wrote a comprehensive book on the seven churches in Asia Minor, or modern Turkey. It's called The Letters to the Seven Churches by William Ramsey. In chapter 9, he discusses the Laodicean church. He calls it Laodicea, City of Compromise. That's on pages 422 and 423. He said, There is no city whose spirit and nature are more difficult to describe than Laodicea. There are no extremes and hardly any very strongly marked features. But in this 
even balance lies its peculiar character. Those were the qualities that contributed to making essentially the successful trading city, the city of bankers and finance, which could adapt itself to the needs and wishes of others, even pliable and accommodating, full of the spirit of compromise, end of quote. So in the letters of the seven churches, he calls the Laodicean church the spirit of compromise. Then he discusses the church of Philadelphia, page 405. Philadelphia, therefore, was the keeper of the gateway to the plateau, talking about the churches in Asia Minor. But the door had now been permanently opened before the church, and the work of Philadelphia had been to go forth through the door and carry the gospel to the cities of Phrygian land. And then on page 406, Philadelphia must have been preeminent among the seven cities as the missionary church. So it's interesting how Ramsey describes Laodicea and the church at Philadelphia. The Philadelphia church he calls the missionary church. Laodicea, the city of compromise. Or as it says in the New King James Version, the heading around uh, the Laodicean church calls it the lukewarm church. So how do we prepare for the kingdom and the wedding? By full of fulfilling the mission that Christ has given the church. And uh, Dr. Meredith wrote about the sevenfold commission of the church. I think you, uh, some of you have a copy in your home and it's available on our website. We can put that up on the screen. And it was in the May-June 2009 Living Church News that Dr. Meredith wrote an editorial titled, The Purpose for the Church. And this is what he wrote. Dear brethren, I hope that all of you will catch the vision, quote, end of quote, and join with us in fulfilling this sevenfold commission. Of course, it could be worded or structured differently, but these key elements of Christ's commission to his church, as outlined above, can be broken down into seven parts. So you can access this copy on our LCG website. Just search for the sevenfold, sevenfold commission, sevenfold being one word. So what are those seven missions? You read, see them on the screen. Number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom in the true name of Jesus Christ, because there are false names of Christ out there. Number two, preach the end time prophecies in the Ezekiel warning to the Israelites' peoples. Uh, so God has called us, his church to be a watchman and warn others. We have that mission in Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 7. And also we need to be standing in the gap, as it tells us in Ezekiel 22, verses 30 through 31. And we have a sermon I already mentioned, uh, sermon number 716, standing in the gap. Number three. Feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Uh, Dr. Meredith gave an inspiring sermon on the stature of Christ, Ephesians 4, verse 13. You might want to write down in relation to that. Number four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. Number five, Learn and practice servant leadership in all its dealings with others, in all our dealings with others. Restore apostolic Christianity in all this implies. 
I just gave a telecast, as uh, Mr. Wesson uh, announced in the world ahead, um, what happened to the Christianity of Christ. Uh, we offered on that uh, program, which probably air in uh, February or, or March, Restoring Original Christianity. The original title was Restoring Apostolic Christianity, uh, but we found it was a better title for Restoring Original Christianity. Uh, brethren, if you've not read that booklet, it's just an awesome, historic, powerful account of how the original pure way of life taught by Christ and the apostles was co-opted, and we have a counterfeit church with uh, so many different opposite doctrines and traditions. So I hope that you uh, read that, uh, if you haven't read it in real uh, recently, uh, Restoring Original Christianity. Number seven. Build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. And we are exercising that faith as we're doing the gospel and fulfilling these missions. And you know John 4, verse 34, and Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And that's what we dedicate ourselves to. And we thank you for the holy day offering this morning. We heard the good news of all that Christ is doing through the uh, initiatives of the church, the preaching of the gospel, of, of the internet and the social media, uh, organic searches, and, and the increase of uh, brethren coming to the church as well. So Christ is blessing the church, but all of us have to be dedicated from the heart uh, to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Dr. Meredith continues in that uh, Living Church uh, article, page 21. Again, why are we here? What is God's work and our commission all about? I hope that the above explanation will help and inspire all of us understand why we exist and what we are to be doing as the living church of God. Let us then move ahead on all fronts and honor God and our Savior Jesus Christ as we zealously fulfill these vital elements of the Great Commission. Listen to this, brethren. And I hope you take this seriously. Uh, Dr. Meredith was exhorting us as follows. Quote, Please study, meditate, and pray about these points and ask God to help you build them into your daily lives so that this work of God may go forward with zeal and power as never before. Well, that's from the Living Church News, May, June 2009 by Dr. Meredith the purpose for the church. So in summary, the Feast of Trumpets is a warning to us as well. We must be spiritually awake, we must have oil in our lamps, and we must have passion to fulfill the commission that Christ has given us. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a wonderful and powerful introduction to the world of the coming kingdom of God. The Feast of Trumpets is also God's judgments on the nations as we seen already and saw this morning. I hope you've seen the telecast, uh, Tomorrow's World telecast, Judgment Day on the Nations, which describes the Day of the Lord. The, the Great Tribulation, as we understand, and I hope all of the brethren understand, the Great Tribulation, Satan wrath on Israel and the church. Corey tells us in uh, Jeremiah 30 verse 1, is the time of Jacob's trouble. So we have Satan's wrath at the Great Tribulation, and then you have God's judgment, the day of the Lamb's wrath, the time of God's judgment on the nations of the day of the Lord. 
So while the Feast of Trumpets focuses on Christ's second coming, it also reminds us of his first coming. And I'd like to review a little of the Messiah's first coming. When did Christ come the first time? You can go to the 70 weeks prophecy. We had a telecast, uh, the second coming. That was uh, some years ago. But uh, Mr. Weston described the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel, the ninth chapter. In the LCN Living Church News, July, August 2019. Why a Council of Elders by Mr. Gerald Weston. He explains the 70 weeks prophecy. The 70 weeks prophecy proves that the Messiah was to begin his ministry in 27 AD. But what time of the year was he born? Now here we are in September. We have the Q&A on the Tomorrow's World magazine from time to time, and we discuss that very question. One was, was Christ born on December 25th? Most scholars admit that the sheep described in Luke 2, verse 8, would not have been out in the cold Judean hills that time of year. Further, consider the fact that Mary, Jesus' mother, had just become pregnant with Jesus. Her cousin Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist, Luke 1, verse 36. Uh, John was conceived shortly after Zacharias' father's scheduled priestly service in the temple. Considering the dates of Zacharias' temple service, scholars have calculated that Jesus would have been born within two weeks either side of the Feast of Trumpets, which was on Saturday, September 20th, 4 B.C., on the Gregorian calendar. He was not born December 25th. But here Luke gives two full chapters of the inspiring birth of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the 70 weeks prophecy, the beginning of that prophecy. It's just exciting, and I hope that you uh, would realize that he came, of course, to set an example of way of life and love. He came to be the Savior of the world. He instituted the new covenant, the Passover. Uh, we have uh, sermon number 809, Pioneers of the New Covenant. So he was born sometime around this time of the year, uh, possibly around the Feast of Trumpets in 4 B.C., so how was the Messiah welcomed at his first coming? I want to turn to uh, Luke, the first chapter. And uh, here we find uh, such an amazing events that occurred that were so inspiring that, that uh, made an impression on Mary and Joseph. And they went, oh, what, what all, what's happening here? All these inspiring events uh, that are occurring. And um, anyway, I, I find this but this time of the year, I really do personal study on Luke 1 and Luke 2, and I find it just so inspiring to realize that maybe Christ was born around this time of the year, and Luke spends quite a bit of time on it. So, chapter 2 of uh, Luke, and uh, talks about Mary bringing all these things uh, and keeping the saints in her heart, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. Uh, then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they heard and seen. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of a child, his name was called Jesus. Of course, in Hebrew, Yeshua, which can be salvation or rescue or deliver. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in his womb. 
And so they were brought up to the temple. But here is one uh, an amazing event that took place. Luke 2 and verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Here we know the whole history of Israel. You've had 4,000 years of, of human history leading up to the birth of the Messiah. And here is this man, Simeon, and he's going to meet the Lord's Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Verse 27, So it came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon, he took him, the baby Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Wow, here's an old man actually holding the Messiah, the one, the Word that was made flesh, the one who said, let there be light, who created the universe. And here is Simeon holding the Messiah in his arms. Uh, these were events around the birth of Christ that were just inspiring to help Mary and Joseph understand this is something special. And Simeon said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of the people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And so then you have Anna the prophetess down in uh, verse 36 and uh, verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Israel. And so verse 40, the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And of course, then he talks about going up to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover as when he was 12 years old. Then verse 52, Luke 2, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. So this was an awesome period of time that came, and uh, several were welcoming him. Later on, of course, uh, when Jesus was older, uh, below uh, not yet two years old, you have the, the Magi, the wise men coming from the east, and they were not just three. Uh, we've had an article in, I think, the Plain Truth magazine years ago that there might have been 12, even representing the 12 tribes. There were three gifts, uh, gold, myrrh, and frankincense, but uh, that wasn't the number of the Magi that visited to honor Christ as what? As the king, uh, not because it was his birthday. So it's just so inspiring that around this time of year, I, I really enjoy and uh, be inspired by reviewing uh, Luke 1 and, and Luke 2, and see how he was re-greeted re at that time. But how will he be greeted again? We already read in Revelation 8 that the nations were angry. And then, of course, later on in Luke, the 18th chapter, when Jesus was mocked and scourged, rejected by his own nation. There was a time, and, however, uh, one time that was... Uh, a, a type of his second coming. And that's Luke, the 19th chapter. Uh, you may want to turn to Luke, uh, the, the 19th chapter. And uh, here in verse 37. Then he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. 
the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice for all the mighty works uh, that he had, uh, they had seen. Verse 38 of Luke 19, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And that some of the Pharisees called to him and cried, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silence, the stones would immediately cry out. Here is the amazing event of the one who was the king of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, or the king of Jerusalem, coming back to his own city. And he said, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Well, we are going to welcome Jesus Christ when he comes. But how did they greet him? I won't turn there, but Luke 20, verse 14. His own nation said, let us kill him. They said in Luke 23, verse 21, crucify him. No, they did not welcome him. And the whole world is going to reject him and his coming. Uh, but he will judge the nations and they will finally get their attention. And the Prince of Peace will bring world peace. So how will we greet him? Turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Uh, just how emotional are you in terms of visualizing your meeting the Savior, your Savior, my Savior, face to face? 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already poured out as a drink offering. This is the Apostle Paul's last letter before his death. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We need to keep the faith also. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. To all who have loved his appearing. And that's what we're thinking about today. We need to think about that and relish the time, anticipate that time, and look forward to the time when Christ returns. In 1 John 2 and verse 28, 1 John 2, 28, again, another reference to our attitude towards the coming King. 1 John 2, 2 28, and now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we need to abide him and not be ashamed. We can have confidence uh, we meet him because we desire him to come. So Christ came to the earth already, and he's coming again. In John, the 14th chapter, he promised that he would come again. John 14 and verse 3, uh, before I came into the church, I, I didn't know Christ was coming back. And then when Mr. Armstrong began to preach about the second coming of Christ, uh, this was a revelation to me personally. I didn't know Christ was coming. But here in John 14, 3, he said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We have a sermon, number 898, Jerusalem and your future. That was a must-play 
uh, anticipating our time with Christ in Jerusalem in the future. So that where He is, we can be also. That's His desire. So we must be dead. We must not be deceived by false prophets, false doctrines, or the false coming religion. And we need to know the sequence of prophetic events that the false that the Feast of Trumpets teaches us. So we have another chart. If we put that on the screen, uh, it's the end time prophetic milestones. This chart. Uh, duplicates the one we just saw from the uh, centerfold of the booklet Armageddon and Beyond, but it, it adds uh, three more elements. It adds the 1335 days. So if you turn to Daniel 12 and verse 12, actually uh, Mr. Weston has written about the 1335 days in uh, recent times, and uh, in Daniel, uh, the 12th chapter, Daniel 12, and we find, uh, of course, mention of the 1290 and the 1260 as well. But he says, uh, <clears throat> verse 11 of Daniel 12, And from the time that the daily sacrifices are taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So, to what? Well, to the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that, that, not the resurrection of Christ, our resurrection at the last trumpet. How do we know that? Because in verse 13 it says to Daniel, go your way till the end. The end time is mentioned here five times in the 12th chapter of Daniel. But go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance at the end of days. So what is the milestone? The seventh trumpet. When Daniel will come up in the resurrection. And that is the end of the 1290 days. What happens 1290 days before the seventh trumpet? The abomination of desolation. And so then we have also the 1335 days. He goes on to say, Blessed is he, verse 12. Blessed are he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. There's not much information given there that is blessed is he who waits. But what do we find with people waiting? It has to do with endurance. And when you follow the sequence in Matthew 24, I won't take time to do that, you find out that the, he that endures to the end, Matthew 24 verse 13, the same shall be saved. And what happens before that? Persecution and betrayal. You read that in, I believe, verses uh, 8 and 9 of Matthew 24. So you find the sequence of what is going to happen. We see on the chart here that you have 45 days before the abomination of desolation. We can infer from what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that's going to be a time of, of persecution. In fact, Mr. Armstrong wrote in the Good News magazine, January 1980, the time we are now in. And by the way, I had given uh, Bible studies in St. Petersburg, uh, 1977, 78, and spoke uh, Seattle in 1979 on the 1335 days. And uh, Mr. Armstrong basically uh, confirmed uh, this pro particular. Uh, Scenario. So what Mr. Armstrong wrote in the Good News magazine, January 1980, 
the time we are now in. Page 23, quote, Never before have we understood these periods of 1260 days, 1290, and 1335 days. But it seems evidence now a blessing is pronounced upon us. God's church, who wait and endure until the 1335 days, apparently 1335 days prior to Christ's coming, but since no one can know the day or hour of his coming, we probably shall not be able to know the, the exact day that the 1335 days begin. But apparently that is the time when our work shall end. That will be a time when the United Europe shall appear, the revival of the medieval Holy Roman Empire. We shall be warned and ready to be taken to a place of refuge and safety from the Great Tribulation. Forty-five days later, the beast's armies will surround Jerusalem. Thirty days later, the Great Tribulation will probably start with a nuclear attack, probably, as it uses the word, probably start with a nuclear attack on London and Britain, and possibly the same day or immediately after on United States and Canadian cities. The Great Tribulation, Mr. Armstrong writes, we shall then fully realize the time of Jacob's trouble spoken of in Jeremiah, the 30th chapter. So that's from Mr. Armstrong's article on the January 1980, Good News, of the time we are in now. So again, brethren, it comes back to Matthew 24, verse 13. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Now, some Church of God groups teach that the seventh trumpet takes place not on trumpets, but on Pentecost. They believe, because that's the uh, Feast of first fruits, that the church is going to be resurrected on Pentecost, not the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and then from that time on, the Feast of Pentecost to the Feast of Trumpets, uh, three and a half months will be then the seven last plagues of the seventh, seventh trumpet poured out over a period of three and a half months till the Feast of Trumpets, when Christ returns with the saints. They believe that for three and a half months, uh, the wedding will be in heaven and the saints will be with Christ in heaven for three and a half months. Do you see the error in that case? What the error is, is when you take a look at the seven last plagues of Revelation, the uh, ninth chapter or 15th chapter, uh, the, you have the last plagues. What do the last plagues tell you? Well, you just take a look uh, at uh, Revelation 15 and uh, read what some of them happened. We've already saw that even in the seventh trumpet plague, as, as Mr. Weston described this morning, how devastation takes place. But here, actually, the uh, chapter 15... And uh, Well, chapter 16, he said, The first went out and poured his bowl on the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the man who had the mark of the beast, the man that had the mark of the beast. Uh, Revelation 16, verse 2. Verse 3, The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as a dead man, and not this time just one-third of the ships of the sea die uh, or, or, or broken up, but every living creature in the sea died. 
The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of the water, and they became blood. So how are you going to last for three and a half months when the whole ecosystem is destroyed? No living thing in the sea. No pure water to drink. And it's amazing that people can even last the nine days between trumpets and atonement uh, when those seven last plagues are poured out. Um, from our booklet, Revelation Unveiled, page 38, Mr. O'Gwen de describes it this way. In Revelation 15, John records a vision of seven angels with seven golden bowls that pour out seven final plagues, one after another. This pouring occurs rather quickly, as we see when we examine the nature of the plagues. If the second and third plagues, for instance, what we just read, lasted more than a few days, let alone three and a half months, all life would perish from the planet. So the scenario that some churches of God are teaching is totally an error. Uh, you cannot last from uh, Pentecost to, to trumpets uh, for the seven last plagues. The seven last plagues described in Revelation 16 will be poured out in a nine-day period culminating with the putting away of Satan on the Day of Atonement. Earth's armies gather at Megiddo, uh, preparing to fight Christ. And that's, of course, one of the seven last plagues. Revelation 16, 16. And they gathered them together in the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now reading again from the Revelation Unveiled book at page 42. And this is important to just reinforce what I just said. Most likely the action that is described in the book of Revelation as occurring between the blowing of the seventh trumpet in Revelation 11:15 and the putting away of Satan in Revelation 20, verse 2, will take place in a nine-day span between trumpets and atonement. And that booklet was uh, first printed in October 2003, 17 years ago. So what happens then? On the last day when the trumpet sounds, Christ comes back for the saints. And it tells us in uh, you know, um, uh, say 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 that he meets the saints in the air, in the clouds, and so they will ever be with the Lord. Do you notice it doesn't say he came back to earth? He meets them in the clouds and they're ever way with the Lord. He comes for the saints on the seventh trumpet. And where do they go? Now, Revelation, the 15th chapter, um, and verse 1. Verse 1, it's a setting. I saw another setting in heaven. Uh, notice the words, setting in heaven. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is the wrath of God complete. So the day of the Lord is... Again, this, the seven seals is the day of God's wrath, but then you have this intense completion of God's wrath on the seventh trumpet with the seven last plagues. But notice verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So these are the saints. That'll be you and me. And those who overcome and are in the kingdom of God and go up to heaven 
at the sea of glass for those nine days. And we have the wedding of the Lamb. We'll talk about that here, here in a minute. So Christ comes for the saints. Then we have the wedding in heaven before God the Father. And uh, uh, some individuals in the past got hung up on that. They said they can't see God the Father. Uh, no, uh, until uh, 1100 years pass. Not until till the new Jerusalem comes down. We can't go up to the, the Sea of Glass. Why not? Uh, as I explained, of course, in the article on the uh, Good News magazine, some uh, 2012, I'll give you that reference later. Uh, but when Jesus said in John 14 and 15 and 16 that we will be one, as the Father and Christ are one, we will be one with them. We will be able to see Christ face to face. We'll be able to see God the Father face to face. And what a time that will be. That's what we're rejoicing in, in today. And uh, we'll be up there for the wedding during those nine days where the, the seven last plagues are, are poured out. So Christ comes for the saints on the day of trumpets. We are there in the sea of glass for the wedding with Christ. And then we come back with Christ. Christ comes with his saints, Revelation, the 19th chapter. So let's uh, take a look at Revelation 19 and uh, verse 6. And just uh, let me insert for a moment here. One of the things that uh, I've said on the telecast from time to time is that the seventh trumpet, the return of Jesus Christ, is the greatest historic event in modern history. And I've, at times, because I heard Mr. Herbert Armstrong say it on the radio, actually on the World Tomorrow radio program, the greatest event in all history is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because it's a fulfillment of God's plan when we're born into the kingdom of God as his royal family. So that's an amazing. I just hope we remember that uh, because it's the fulfilling of God's plan that we will be a part of his royal family. But here in Revelation, the 19th chapter, and verse 6. Revelation 9, verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. I hope that you have that underlined in your Bible. For the Lord God omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And not only Matthew 25 uh, did the wise virgin make, make themselves ready, uh, but here His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted a, and arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So what, I've mentioned it before, but Mr. Armstrong would ask, What is the greatest fact in the universe? In four words, or God, or three words, God rules supreme. And we just read that the Lord God omnipotent reigns. 
God rules supreme. Continuing Revelation 19, uh, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now we just read earlier that the bride is in fine linen and white and clean. So that's part of the army. And he himself will rule them. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, verse 15, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his, on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here we have the armies in heaven. We've had the wedding. And now Christ is going to come back to the earth uh, to fight the battle of the great day of God Almighty. It's always referred to as the battle of Armageddon. But hold your place here. Um, Jude uh, verse 14. Jude 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of the saints to execute judgment on all and convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken him. So Jude says the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And we found in Revelation 9 and verse 8 that the Lamb's wife was arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So who is the army that comes from heaven with Christ? It's the saints on white horses. I know one minister one time uh, said at the Feast of Tabernacles, reading this, this section, said, oh, I, I hope I'm not on one of those white horses. Well, I hope you will be on one of those white horses uh, coming back with Christ. And we'll read a few more scriptures. First uh, Thessalonians 3.13, I'll just read this, affirms that Christ comes with the saints, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So Christ is going to fight the armies of this world, and he will win over them. And who will be with him? We already read this in Revelation 17, uh, verse 14. These, the beast armies, will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So Christ and those who are with him, the saints, are going to be fighting that battle of the great day of God Almighty. And where do they come from? God's throne in heaven, Revelation 19, verse 4. And they'll be judging the nations. Now, I think we've read this before, but we want to turn to uh, Psalm uh, 149. Again, this describes our responsibilities in judging the nations. 
Psalm 149. Oh, Dr. Meredith would uh, continually talk about 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, and how the saints will judge the world and, and judge angels. And here we have that same responsibility reflected in Psalm uh, 149. And uh, let's start here. Psalm 149, and we'll start with uh, verse 4. And the Eternal takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. And we can certainly do that anticipating the seventh trumpet. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Uh, have you ever done that? Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What are the saints going to do? Verse 7, execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we are going to judge the nations. And I hope you would want to stop the violence, the oppression, or the evil that's going on in the world <clears throat> and have a part in it along with Jesus Christ, as it tells us in Psalm 149. And we saw in Jude, the four, uh, Jude 14 uh, that the saints will execute judgment on the nations. Zechariah 14, verse 12, uh, just to show you the power that Christ has and really, you don't want to fight against Christ. Uh, I'll just read this, Zechariah 14, verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who, who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. These rebels who hate Jesus Christ, who hate God, who hate the Ten Commandments, who help hate the way of life, well, these rebels are just going to perish. So Jesus Christ wins the war. We go back to uh, Revelation the 19th chapter. Revelation 19, I hold you, told you to hold your place, but perhaps you didn't do that. Revelation 19 and verse 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped with image. <coughs> Excuse me. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so the kings and priests, we will teach the world how to live by God's way of life, the Ten Commandments, the spiritual application of the commandments, and Christ will be enacting as the Prince of Peace once they learn the way of love, the way of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And they will establish true justice. We'll look forward to that time. Dr. Meredith wrote in uh, Personal the Living Church News, Is our Lord delaying His coming? Uh, when is Christ going to come? This is July, August 2014. 
Dr. Meredith writes, As we all know, we are to watch for the coming beast power to rise in Europe. We must watch for the coming King of the South to appear. We must especially watch near the end for the abomination of desolation to be seen standing in the holy place, Matthew 24 and verse 15. So we pray for God's kingdom to come. We look forward to the last trumpet, to our resurrection, a change from mortal to immortality. But we must stay close to God. We must be convicted, dedicated, and passionate for the second coming of our Lord. Christ will rule all nations, and if we overcome, we will be assisting him forever. Turn to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews 9. We again look forward to the time when the Lamb of God will be coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Hebrews 9 and verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Eagerly wait for him. I hope, brethren, that every single one of us are anticipating his return and the seventh trumpet. Christ was born in 4 B.C. His ministry began in uh, 27 A.D. And now he performed his mission for three and a half years. And he'll be coming back to complete that mission in the second half of the 70th week to confirm a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob and again to confirm the covenant he's made with us. Turn to Second Peter, the third chapter, Second Peter 3. The day of the Lord in its primary meaning in the end time, of course, is the one year preceding the return of Jesus Christ in the second, seventh trumpet. He comes for the saints, and then later, nine days later, with the saints. Second Peter 3 and verse 10 describes another perspective of the day of the Lord. Second Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore... Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, the day of the Lord continues in an overall perspective uh, through the millennium and through the white throne judgment and on through the new heavens and the new earth. So we look forward to the time of Revelation 19.6, which we read, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So brethren, the seven trumpets introduce the kingdom of God. And the feast of trumpets is the day of the Lord, the time of God's judgments on the nations. Will we welcome him with open arms when we meet him face to face? You know, Moses spoke with the one who became Christ face to face. Jacob wrestled with the eternal, the one who became Christ. 
Adam hid from the Lord, and the kings from the east, the Magi, brought gifts to the newborn king, and the children praised the Messiah when he was coming into Jerusalem, it says Matthew 21 and verse 9. So we need to prepare to meet the king and draw near him, as it tells us in James 4 and verse 8. There's one scripture that I, I pray about in my relationship to God the Father and Christ. In Jeremiah 13, 11, God says, For the sash clings to the waist of a man, for as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so have I caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise and glory, that they might not hear. And I pray that I can cling to God the Father and to Christ. And the King James Version is cleave to him. So how do we prepare to meet the king? We must always have oil in our lamps. We must be alert and watchful. We must give the trumpet warning and fulfill the mission that Christ has given us to be filled with the Spirit. One of my other favorite scriptures in Colossians 3, and uh, one, two more scriptures here, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, the old man was de dead, you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. When Christ who is our life appears, then shall you appear with him in glory. One last scripture, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15. So let's look forward to the resurrection when we will be reunited with our loved ones who died in the faith. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The Feast of Trumpets introduces the coming kingdom of God. So let's rejoice in the coming kingdom. Let's rejoice in our anticipation of the wedding to our Lord. And let's pray for the kingdom to come. Revelation 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies of these things, that is, Christ the Lord, says, Surely I am coming quickly or suddenly. And the Apostle John says, Amen. So, brethren, let us respond as the Apostle John did to Christ's statement that he is coming quickly. John says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's anticipate the seventh trumpet and anticipate the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day.